Welcome to On and Off the Pitch. Hello and welcome to On and Off the Pitch. I'm Rodney Cyrus. Uh, it's a very strange time of the, the year, but also a very strange time in the world. Um, everyone's talking about football, but there are so many things happening beyond the world of football, which we all need to acknowledge. So our thoughts and prayers are with those in the battle in Ukraine right now. Um, but this is a sporting platform, so we will talk about sport. Uh, there are words which will bring people in. There are words which will push people away. But there are words that you kind of need to mull over. And they ask uh, us to think about where we are in the chain that is football. Uh, these are the words from uh, Adam Millington, a sports journalist for Reuters and The Independent, and he posted something on Twitter a few days ago, um, and it began with this. Um, it says, if fans are more, or if fans are after more women's football coverage, uh, then these fans need to try and make that clear to editors. Uh, this is it. That was the, the, the crux of the tweet and there was much more to it because it was about uh, retweeting articles sharing articles commenting on articles uh, so this is it and by doing so it will provide those sports editors um, the hard proof they need to deploy uh, more journalists to cover the women's game not just you know chelsea manchester united arsenal yeah chelsea manchester united arsenal uh, in the tweet, there's a suggestion, and I say it's a suggestion, that, that fans need to share these articles between themselves. And, and this will, in its sense, drive the game forward uh, because the editors will see this as proof that there is more interest. Um, so what do you think? Do you think that fans should do this? Do you believe that this is the, uh, the, 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 the reason that the game is lacking, that fans aren't doing enough, fans aren't aren't saying enough on the on the comments of these articles. Some of what is said is true, right? Driving stories does help improve the game. That is without question, it does. But I have taken to look at this another way. Um, fans have been driving the game. Fans have been driving the conversation, and they've been doing both for quite some time. Uh, they have done so without qualifications or the abbreviations of a journalist with years of training. They do it for love. Some do it in spite of the love that they receive from their family because they're losing time. Some do it without recognition for years and years and years. And they do it away from the mainstream media. Some do it for passion. Some do it because they're filling a space which has not been filled. So I get, I get it, you know, editors need to know that the fans are, are liking what they're, they're doing. I get it. But driving the game forward doesn't take on the appearance of those who are in the media. The media isn't diverse. It just isn't. The bulk of the people who talk about women's football don't look like one male. They might be male, but they're definitely not black. The game is 
diverse. The fans are diverse. The media is not diverse. So as much as the media will say, you know, they need fans to help drive the game forward and push the game forward and drive their content and retweet and share and like and comment. I get all of those things. But when there was a space that was left empty because of financial requirements elsewhere, then fans filled it. Fans filled it. So the question is, who is responsible for driving the game forward? Who's, who's responsible for, for improving the coverage? Who's responsible? Who is, is it down to one person? Is it down to a group of people? Is it down to a collective between the fans and the media? Uh, I can see people looking to the media, the print section, radio section online and believing that this responsibility is placed at their feet, at their, like, you know, oh, the media got to do, you know, okay, there's, there's a calling for that, I'm sure. But just for a moment, right, in the media, if you're a black or Asian or Muslim, or you're tall or you're short, or you live in a remote section of the world, wherever you fall in the spectrum of being a supporter or a fan, and you love football, does the media really offer what you want? I mean, honestly. I mean, you engage, but it doesn't offer what you want. And your voice is never heard, or you never hear someone that sounds like you. You never see necessarily someone that looks like you. I know a lot has been done in the last 12 months. Sure. But this, you know, a diverse society and a diverse fan base is not new. Football is a long-standing institution so diverse is not new um you know and supporters who are diverse and cover a wide spectrum of things you know in the modern world they're not necessarily going to go out of the way and drive someone else's content they create their own content because there was nothing there they engage with one another they have and they do their own thing and they do so in a very open mind. So if you are in a position where you're expecting the media to drive the game that you love and you think, oh, the only way it's gonna work is if I go on there and comment and I like a comment, well, you know, that might nudge the editor in a particular direction. But if you have a sports journalist and a sports editor weighing up the financial issues about whether or not they actually go to watch a game which is sport, and you're having to beg them to talk about it, then your words may add value to them, but you might as well create your own. And I know that's gonna go against the grain, but it is. Because the media, and for those that are asking for you to retweet, like, and comment, don't look like you. They definitely don't look at like me. They don't look at like me. So you create your own content and you do so in a manner that you will engage, you engage with others, you do so with an open mind, you do so with an open heart, and you generally don't hand over your passion for someone else to drive the game forward, because that's what you are. You're the passion. And it's not what, I don't think journalists and editors understand that. I mean, I'm, I, mean I get they like football, but I, 
the world has changed considerably. Um, the football game in itself is about being present to what's going on on the pitch. The media were always an option. They just didn't take up that space. And fans, supporters groups have taken up that space and they're having this conversation all the time, talk at length about some of the teams that nearly went out of business like Coventry. And things have gone on from there and what else, you know, it's that length. The mainstream media are not the masters of that space. Fans are. And I know that sounds rebellious, but it isn't. Print media, social media, they all have, you know, radio, they, they all have financial choices to make. You know, do they send someone and pay them to cover the game that they're not really interested in? Let's see what the fans do. We can kind of rip a line out of what they say on Twitter and put it in an article. Yeah, we've seen it. We've seen it. We've heard it. They'll probably get away with it and not have to pay anyone because they're not an expert. Yeah, you know. Seen it all. And if you're a fan and you love the game, you talk about it. That's what we always did as kids. We always did as young adults. We talked. We talked about what happened on the pitch. And from the club's point of view, and this isn't just about the fans and the media, the club's point of view, they're only interested in the mainstream media because that's where the prestige is. The prestige is attacked, attached to the mainstream media for whatever they are, whether they're on the, 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 the digital platform or the old school platform. Yeah, you know, so the clubs don't see any cachet with talking to fans because they think, well, you know, we're waiting for the, the big guys to come along. Most of the media never truly reflect the fans. I, don't, I need to reiterate that. Most of the media never truly reflect the fans. So retweet, like, share that, comment, all of those things. It's good. It will help drive the game. You know, help drive the game. You know, and I've mentioned this before, right? And this is someone will say, you've been rebellious with me. How dare you? I've mentioned this before. What would happen if supporters didn't engage in social media and they didn't engage in the conversation and they didn't like an article and they didn't retweet and they didn't comment? They didn't go online and read an article or share it and talk about it. What if, or, or talk about the clubs. What if they did exactly what the, 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 the game or the media sees them as customers, clients? What if they actually just went to the game, didn't stay behind to get a photo with a player? As soon as the whistle blew, they got up and left. Didn't even applaud, didn't sing. They just went, yeah, watched it and left. Didn't talk to anyone because that was it. They paid their money, they went in and they left. Regardless of the result, not upset, just went, yeah, we've seen that, we can go home now. What would it be? What would it be like? Because when you strip away all of the extra stuff, you know, generally people just go to watch the game. And then the conversation afterwards is part of what you do for your day. And, and obviously fans have engaged in that. And that in itself is talk, and that is what we're talking about driving the game. Because if you just watch football and you thought, oh yeah, that team won, oh, that was good, and that was it, you did nothing else. 
you didn't, you didn't well, go on and read a, an article because you've watched the game. You didn't need to know what someone else thought about it because you've watched it. What would, how would the game, who would drive the game for? If, if journalists are asking fans to like and tweet or share a comment about an article that, you know, so that their editors can be interested in the sport that they're not interested in, even though they are sports journalists and sports editors. Who's responsible for growing the game? Who? And if, and if it is the fans, where do the fans, where do the fans and supporters fit into that? Because if it's just to engage in comments and retweet and like so that editors can then, is, what does that tell you if you're a fan, if that's what they're just saying to you, this is all you need to do? When you have been spending your time creating your own content and your own conversations because there is no one in that space anyway. It was food for four. Food for four. The question that I pose is for me an honest one. Where do fans fit into this? If that's the take that sports editors have, where do fans, where do fans fit into this? Back after the break, we'll talk about the uh, London City Lioness is taking on Bristol City. What a game. Yeah, they were defending for their lives, they were putting bodies on the, on the line. So, uh, we're back. And I visited uh, London City Lioness's home ground. I'm all, I, I have to, I, I go there quite a bit. Uh, and they were hosting uh, Bristol, which is a big game. Uh, both teams uh, were in good form. And, and, and for me, this was a special game. It was a special game because I was there to watch, only jesting. Um, but it was a special game because it, it, it's an indication of where the league is. You know, I, I'm a real big advocate of the championship. I know everyone talks about the WSL. We've already touched on that and uh, like, leave and, and share a comment. Um, but it, it's, it's a really good league. And uh, for those that get to go and watch a game um, and you've got no real affiliation with any particular team, you'll, you'll, see, you'll see good football. You'll see good football. Uh, so in terms of, of the game itself, um, London City Lion Nesses, um, a.k.a. LCL, uh, and Bristol uh, have been in, in, or had been in, in excellent form prior to this game, both with wins behind them. Uh, and they both you know, form or formed um, part of the chasing pack behind the league leaders, Liverpool, who, to be all, to be honest, I think at this point in time, it, it's their league to lose. Um, but the question I had um, before the game and during the game and, and after the game um, was what would the atmosphere and level of expectation have been like if there was more than one spot up for promotion towards the WSL. You know, right now it's just one spot, but uh, these two teams and, and all of the teams down from second to fifth, sixth, have, have played their part in a really entertaining season so far. And, and all of the other teams as well, but those that are close in terms of points-wise to Liverpool. Okay, um, so in an alternative universe, it would have been absolutely intense but we're in this one. 
So we have to contend with this one. Uh, for the fixture itself, uh, um, London City Lionesses would be without Primus and Jarrett. Really key, as far as I'm concerned, really key. Primus, who, who, who does an excellent job in, of, of linking the play between midfield and, and whoever's the forward line. Uh, Jarrett as a presence and a goal scorer. Um, for Bristol, they would have individuals missing as well. They would have um, Mel Johnson and, and Murray. Um, and according to a, a particular podcast, IDN, Inat, Ajan, um, Mel Johnson has been kind of really key in terms of the goals that they've scored and how they've kind of uh, come about in terms of their wins. So both teams, key personnel missing. More so for London City Lioness is no real designated centre forward, which is which is something in a game where you, you, you're second and third place, you could swap places at any point. Uh, so from that point of view, I would say London City Lionesses were up against it once I saw the team sheet. So, you know, the early stages of a game, in any game, they're really misleading because there's lots of high pressing, there's lots of low blocking, and there's lots of sloppy passing. And all of these things were evident in the first part of this game. And yeah, and I, I would say that both sets of players would, would probably have sensed there was a, 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 an increased level of um, anticipation and expectation from them. No team probably wanted to lose this game. It was about uh, more than points, I would say, a level of confidence in terms of where they sat in the league. But... You know, early part of the game, you saw lots of those things, like high press, low block, sloppy passing. And for me, the ball seemed to bounce quite a bit during this game, you know, sort of like almost bounce, you know, basketball bounce. Very odd to watch sometimes. Um, from London City Lionesses, they didn't have their fluidity, you know, so very early on, uh, what I call an untamed pass from Fleming. Uh, in the early stages of the game, you know, nearly opened the door to Bristol um, outside their box, who uh, wouldn't, you know, make that count. But it was a, it was a sign. It was a, a sign. Uh, on one occasion, um, still in the early parts of the game, across towards Harrison, really excellent cross. Um, she did stretch for it, couldn't bring it under total control, but you know, it looked like it was going to end up as a, in a goal. Um, she was caught offside. And uh, the, the assistant referee on that side would have a very busy afternoon. <laughs> oh, my days. So many offside calls in the second half. I swear, if, honestly, if London City Linus has watched that game back, they will be thinking, how in the hell did we get so many offside? I mean, they did like five or six in a row. It was ridiculous. Anyway, so, you know, um, first half, uh, Harrison had a point where she could almost score, didn't. She was offside. Um, and, and and she would kind of cause a lot of trouble um, in, in the first half and in the game itself. Um, in terms of, of, of crossing, um, crossing from LCL in the first half, you know, they were all over the place in a sense. They, they didn't pick out anyone in particular, whether that was because they didn't have a, a point of reference, um, centre forward of, of note. Um, so crosses were overhit, you know, and they failed to gain advantage from, from any of the 
the crosses that they really put into the box and, and were unable to kind of pounce and benefit from the confusion when the ball bounced around the penalty area as it did and as it did right across the pitch. Um, moments of good interplay um, from LTL, but not enough. Um, great link-up play between Rouse and Muir. You know, Muir would then go, you know, sprinting, driving into the box, but would fail to find the net um, early in the game. And um, that would kind of come back around um, in, in the latter part of the first half. Um, on the side that I was at, um, Beaver Jones, um, really nice, neat, tight turn, like a pirouette, um, spun away from Fitzgerald, centred the wrong way. Um, her pass to Harrison, you know, um, would e eventually end up in a shot which, which just went past the post. So the signs were there. Signs were there that even though Harrison would occupy the the um, LCL back two, stroke three, worked across the line, worked the channels really, really well. Um, even though that she was the most furthest forward in comparison, I don't think that that um, London City Lioness has really got close enough um, to, to Lily Ag, who was playing out of position a little bit, um, playing further forward as a point person. So for Harrison, or in my, in my, in my opinion, for ha Harrison demonstrated a difference between both the teams, you know, a central point of attack. And Harrison would find space between the central, the two central defenders repeatedly. Um, you know, Bennett and Nolan, you know, for whatever reason, they just, I mean, Bennett and Nolan, you know, Bennett and Nolan really couldn't kind of get to grips with that movement, particularly as just one striker, but her movement, the whole play was abs absolutely fantastic, Harrison, fantastic. Um, as I said, in comparison, Lily Ag playing in a, in a slightly more advanced role, not a normal position, um, arts to lead the line, did, did a very, very best, but the team... And I think this is because obviously Primus isn't playing to kind of link up the play, just didn't get close enough to build up and the link up play that they have normally demonstrated throughout the season. Uh, so it was a, a very alien performance from London City Lionesses. And for Bristol, it was it was it was a continuation of, of what we've seen so far. Um, they've had really good performances, and this was another one against the team, you know, above them and who had been in good form as well. Um, and again, and, and I asked the question, you know, what would this fixture have felt like? What would it have looked like if there were more than two or three spaces available for promotion? And it's a really, really important question to, to kind of ponder, considering the, the, the conversation which had taken place a few weeks ago about WSL expansion and Taylor and Hayes and mentioned it, you know, it's, it, whether that happens, who knows, we watch this space. Um, but yeah, but from, from the uh, Bristol point of view, really good um, kind of attacking prowess going forward, really quick on the break, the transitions were clear for them. Um, London City Lioness is kind of, they, they stemmed it at points, but they didn't, and then um, you know, in terms of the goal, first goal, um, clear cut penalty, Bristol's penalty was clear cut. Uh, London City Lioness defender, you know, you could see put a uh, head in her hands. She knew the tackle was mistimed. No questions at all. Once you're inside the box and you don't make contact with the ball and, and it's just, it just looked clumsy, you know. So from there on, you, you, you're kind of thinking, can Bristol take advantage at this point? Harrison steps up and is a no-nonsense penalty. 
no absolute nonsense. So they go forward and they 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 score and they go one nil. You know, in comparison, you know, London City Lionesses do get an equaliser, but it's you know kind of a bobble bounce around ping pong. You know, unable to defend what's going on, and then Liliag, you know, nods in, um, following a, a whole kind of mix up of what's going on. It just it kind of looked odd, you know, nothing really clear, you know. So, um, so from that point of view, both teams on equal terms, but you could see, and even though London City Alliance has had the bulk of the play, I would say that, they, that Bristol were more defensive in their position. Um, London City Lioness would, be, would have been grateful with the 1-1 the, the, the one, one scoreline. Um, and, and going back to, to Harrison, you know, I think, you know, I've seen um, centre-back peering for London City Lionesses, you know, contend very well with some of the centre-forwards they've faced. Um, Harrison really did ruffle feathers, but just in a way, in a, in a way that was not, loud or, 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 you know, it was just kind of business-like, you know what I mean? Protected the ball, when fouled, no moaning, no kind of saying anything, you know, to the referee, it just kind of got on with it. So it, there was that. And not not unsettled at all. Um, so literally towards the end of the, the first half, key moment, super pass out to Moya from Rouse, I believe, I think it was again, going towards goal, you're thinking that you know Moy's going to score, doesn't. Great skate, a, a great save. Um, that's the 45th minute, and you go in at two-one up, and you think you 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 then score at a really vital time, as they say it's always important to score. So that was the moment. Failed to make an impact, and then second half, Bristol's demeanour is different. They're more aggressive, and I always say five seconds is really important. Five seconds in your head, five seconds quicker, five seconds more in terms of your awareness of what's going on. Um, and, you know, we see straight away Bristol's uh, uh, attack towards the goal, their approach towards the LCL um, goal. Um, they're unable to get the ball out. Then there's a low cross um, that goes right across to, to the penalty area. And then you see Beaver Johns who who's dispatches the ball right into the net and you, you sense now this is this is a really entertaining game. I would never have predicted it was going to be the gold fest that it was, but it was. Um, you know, Bristol, as I I stated, emerged seconds quicker to the ball. They were anticipating the move before the ball was arriving. They were anticipating the bounce because that was just like I don't know what was going on with the ball, and and they were actually able to attack the gaps that were left in midfield and the back of, of, of LCL. So it was a really good, entertaining game. Uh, Bennett for LCL, late to the tackle. Um, yeah, a bit late to the tackle and, you know, just on the edge of the box and, you know, Bristol awarded a free kick. When, you know, I sat there and I saw Amy Palmer, you know, standing, I just thought this is going in, you know, and low hard strike beyond the keeper's reach and it's a whoa moment because the strike is clean you know it's a stuffing kicker kind of goal it it literally knocked the stuffing out of lcr i think then there was a wobble they still maintain their poise but uh, bristol did have the upper hand and um, you sensed there was a certain amount of unraveling from lcl you know uh, bennett you know again 
gets a booking later on, you know, wasn't a good afternoon for her. I sensed that she wasn't as 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 controlled and as calm as I've seen her before. Uh, and again, I think, again, you know, the importance of the game, um, even though there's only one spot for promotion, the, the players are aware. The players are aware. And, um, you know, the game in itself goes the way that it does. I mean, obviously, Bristol... Bristol goal, Bristol goal on and win the game by 3-2 and, and, and substitutions come on. Paish on as a sub. I hope I pronounced her, her name correctly. A, an absolutely fantastic goal. Comes in from the right, dispatches it. It's like the goal is basically, it's a, like, don't bother trying to save that kind of goal. It's really, really good. So, you know, with so many minutes left to play, Bristol are, you know, Three two up, um, but in in between that time, say the last twenty or fifteen so minutes, uh, London City Lioness has got caught offside so many times, and I couldn't work out. You know, the linesman was having one of those days, or whether he was flag happy or whatever it was. But it was it was one of those a sequence of offsides that just kept happening one after the other. About five in a row, and. Uh, you know, London City Linus didn't kind of catch on to the fact that this referee or this assistant referee, if they can even see the slightest glimpse of your shirt, they're going to flag. And yeah, it just seemed really odd that they kept, it, it kept giving offside and the players didn't say, look, we can beat the offside here, but we just need to be, we need to be smart. It didn't work out for them. Um, you know, great game. Absolutely fantastic game of football. Uh, both teams changed places in the league. Um, great performance from from Bristol. Uh, Amy Palmer, you know, I talked a lot about Harrison, but Amy Palmer just seemed to position herself in the right place at the right time every time there was an LCL attack. Able to get the ball away, able to link up play, and you know, I've said I've watched uh, London City Lionesses and uh, for quite a few games this season. You know, it was one of the quietest games I've seen. Uh, their their midfield pairing of, of Fleming and Rogers have um, very quiet. They were nullified by by Bristol, who were without again, as I said, Johnson and Murray. You know, so they were down key players as well. So really interesting game. Um, fascinating battles between uh, individual players on the pitch. Um, London City Lioness players will probably feel that they should never have lost that game. They should never have conceded, um, never have conceded the goals that they did. Um, set pieces, especially the free kick, penalty. It's all about the timing of the. It's all about the timing of the the tackle, and and whether or not just to jockey the player away instead of trying to uh, to kick out and totally miss the ball but uh, for the neutral a fantastic game an absolutely fantastic goals feast game and two of the goals phenomenal absolutely great great goals um questions i've posed them but you know in terms of closing the gap on liverpool who's the gap is considerable and they were on business elsewhere um I would say that this game and this win for Bristol is more about 
the confidence of, of closing the gap than about closing the gap itself. Uh, so that's it. That was really good. Uh, unlucky London City Lionesses, they'll come back. Bristol, I salute you. Uh, we're going to hear a little bit from the managers of both teams after this break. Difficult afternoon for you and your team. Um, how would you describe it? I mean, we're, we're obviously disappointed with the result. I think um, there's small moments in the first half where if we have a bit more dis discipline with our decision-making, we could have put the game away because um, we had some clear-cut opportunities that should have been goals. Um, and then, look, Bristol are a good team. There's that We knew that they can score goals. Um, it's disappointing to give them set-piece goals. Uh, and ultimately, you know, that's twice now that we've started the second half slow, so we have to find ways where we come out of halftime a little bit sharper. No. Um, great result. Um, what are your thoughts on the game? I think it was a really transitional game, you know, and I think we knew that coming into it because both teams like to get the ball down, play through the thirds, you know, break teams up between the lines. So. I think when we've both tried to do that, we've cancelled each other out in midfield quite a lot. So that was obviously the first half. Um, and then second half, I think, you know, we, ju we just sorted ourselves out in terms of a bit more aggressive, aggress aggressive uh, going into the, the one-touch stuff a little bit more and, and really matching them. And that changed it for us. And the momentum flew our way then, I think, in the second half. So that was the big change. Uh, overall, tough game and, you know, credit to London City. I think, you know, that's probably one of the toughest games we've had all season. FAWC results. This was a strange week. I say strange a lot, don't I? I know, but it was strange. Games that were missed were all on the same day, week 12, week 15, week 25. You know, it was like a quantum leap episode for those who know what quantum leap is. If you don't, well, tough. Uh, in terms of the results, as we know, London City Lionesses, uh, Two, Bristol City, three, big win, big result, big confidence booster. Everyone's feeling happy in the city of Bristol. Not so much London City. Uh, elsewhere, Crystal Palace away from home, get back on the winning mojo bounce. Uh, Sunderland, the lasses, nil. Crystal Palace won, and that, uh, was, that was match day 12 out of 22. God. And match day 15 out of 22, uh, Blackburn Rovers at home hosting Lewis. Blackburn Rovers won, Lewis nil. Woo! Uh, so I'm going to go away from those games and, and talk about um, the, the FA Cup. There was some FA Cup action. And right at the top of uh, our little pod chat here, we talked about who's driving the game. Uh, I didn't see any of the game. Didn't see any of the games. Um, I did record something. Um, Manchester United versus, versus Manchester City. Apparently Manchester United lost. Well, that's what the, the results say. So um, for those who, you know, want to read an article online or leave a comment, you know where to go. But uh, in terms of the results themselves, here they are. Fifth round of the Vitality FA Cup. Chelsea 7, Leicester City nil. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 4. Durham 0, Birmingham 1. 
at West Brom 2, Coventry United 4, Gokov, Liverpool 0, Arsenal 4, Charlton 0, Everton 2, Reading 0, West Ham 1, big win West Ham, big win, and Ipswich 1, Southampton 1, full time on penalties, 4-2 to Ipswich, Bowl Selector, Bowl Selector, uh, I'm going to shoot away for a little bit, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about this Carabao Cup thing. And what does it mean to win a final? What does it actually mean to win a final when people say it's not really important game? What do you mean? Yeah, they were defending for their lives. They're putting bodies on the, on the line. Welcome. Welcome back. Uh, Carabao Cup. Uh, two teams, Chelsea, Liverpool, went at it. Um, I stand by what I said about Lukaku. I don't think he should have returned to the Premier League. But anyway, leave that be. A really good, entertaining game of football. Both teams going at 100 miles an hour, trying to win a competition which people, you know, say is rubbish, is not good, no one's really interested. If people were interested, no one would go to Wembley, spend their good, hard-earned money to go and watch this. But they did. People watched it. People talked about it. Went all the way through 90 minutes, right up to penalties. And what penalties they were. The drama, the tension. Good stuff. Uh, so is there a value in a competition that people keep talking about is no good because everyone keeps talking about the Premier League and the Champions League as if they're the be-all and end-all? We're on an island that decided to move away from Europe in terms of its political and economic position, but yet still we hanker to be involved in the European football. Oh, why don't we promote the football competitions in our own countries? No good. But it means something. The Carabao Cup means something. And, and to be honest, from my humble position as a failed footballer, which we all are to a certain degree, if you win anything, that you can use your silver polish to shine, then it's worthy. No matter what people say, no matter what people talk about, it's not that important. It's important. If you can go and collect a trophy up the steps of Wembley, then it's worthy. If you can go and collect a trophy anywhere while playing football at any level, it's worthy. Do not let those that sit by in their sofas and their PlayStation chairs or in some warm studio and say this competition is important. It is important for the players that are playing it. And it may be that the continental managers are making this competition relevant again to the British public. But hey, you know what it is? It is important. And it was good to see. It reminded me of what football was about. Two teams get into a final and playing to win, and playing their best football to win. Playing, playing football as if it was the last game they would ever play. And it was absolutely fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, credit to the Liverpool players, obviously because they won. Credit to the Chelsea players because they made it oh so entertaining. And, but for a post or two, they could have won. Uh, but it didn't. But in terms of a spectacle for the fan, in terms of a spectacle for the neutral, as an advertisement for the, the footballing game that is in the UK, it was a really good game of football. And I, for one, thoroughly enjoyed it. It was brilliant. Tom Marks. Tom Marks.
I was at a pace. Love it. It's just watching the game. That's all we want to do. Just watch. That's all we want to do. Anyway, that's it from me. This is on and off the pitch. Big shout out to the Holder Line crew. Hope all is well, wherever you are in the world. I'm Rodney Cyrus, and I'll see you all later. I just want to watch the game.